I became a scientist because I love animals. That was always my drive, my passion, my motivation in this career. I wasn't innately interested in science. And I see a lot of other people enter this career because they love animals. And I think so often we think about helping animals in terms of like helping individuals directly. So stuff like like rehab work, that's really what comes to mind for a lot of people, like saving animals from, from situations where they have faced hardship, for example, the Australian wildfires. But really, to help animals, a lot of it is actually stepping away from the animals directly and looking at ourselves and what we do. So Earth uh, Day is April 22nd, and today is April 1st. It is also my puppy dog Gus's birthday. He's one years old today. We actually didn't know his exact date, but he is such a goofy dog, and he was born around this time. We are like April Fool's Day is the perfect birthday for him. But anyways, it's also Earth uh, Day this month. So this month, I wanted to start talking about what we can do. What are the things that we can do in our daily lives to alleviate our impact on wildlife? And some of this stuff, we, we don't even think about animals or we don't even think about wildlife when we do it, but it is so, so important. So we're gonna kick off this month by talking about climate change. Different things that you can do to help alleviate, to help mitigate the impacts of climate change. And yes, you do have power. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. The reason why I wanted to start off with climate change is because it is big. It's a big topic, but most importantly, it affects every single living species on Earth, including us. The most common poster child or poster animal of climate change is, of course, the polar bear. And the polar bear demonstrates the warming of the ice caps, which of course they need this habitat to live. They they don't go on land, although some have been seen more recently on land because of the, the changing landscape, but they use the ice um, in the ocean to help them hunt for seals. And that's a big reason why we need to keep that habitat for them to persist. So some animals will lose their habitat because it'll become too warm. Some animals like coral, they seem to be pretty temperature sensitive or they are temperature sensitive, although there are studies coming out showing that some can adapt, but basically they they flourish, they survive in certain temperature zones within the tropics and changing that temperature can kill different species. 
Climate change also affects the timing of different things. So you might have birds migrating early or insects coming up early. And if they're showing up to the places where they need to be early and there's no food supply for them, so maybe birds migrate early, but maybe their their prey insects are not coming out as early, then you can have these mismatches between prey and predator, and therefore the ones that get there earlier are, are not going to survive, and we could see something like a decline in populations. In fact, there was a study out a couple of years ago that showed across species that migration was happening earlier and earlier each year. So millions of birds were changing their migration patterns and showing up to their their spring habitats much, much earlier. Climate change affects animals in ways that you wouldn't even really think. It actually affects the African forest elephant, which is the elephant I studied for my dissertation research. And when you think about elephants with climate change, okay, maybe you think that if they live in a really desert area, they will be affected, or even in savanna areas, because it can change, obviously, the, the weather patterns and the water availability, and therefore it might be more difficult for those elephants to get water. But I studied African forest elephants, and they live right on the equator and in more tropical forested areas. So you wouldn't think that this their climate change would have a big impact on them because elephants are, are pretty resilient to, to temperature changes. And since it's a rainforest, you don't imagine the, the water situation changing that dramatically. But a study came out last year in the park I worked in, in Lope National Park, Gabon. And this study actually used my data that I collected of the different forest elephants in the park. They used my photos. And what they did is they looked at the elephant's body condition over time. So scientists can score basically how healthy an animal is. They have, it's, it's one through five, and they assign them a different body score. And what they found is that the elephants were getting skinnier over time. But this, the field station that I worked at, they also took, they took phenological data. So they took measurements and timing data on when fruits ripened and when flowers bloomed on all the different plant species there. And forest elephants, they predominantly eat fruits. They eat over 200 species of plants, most of which are fruits. So they had these these records for at least three decades, I believe, and they were able to match the patterns of the fruiting trees to the forest elephants. And so basically the elephants aren't eating enough. They, they're getting skinnier and it's because the fruits are affected by climate change. So even in an area where you think that climate change wouldn't really affect an animal, it most certainly does. It affects every single animal on the planet. I don't want to make this a sad episode and talking about all the negative effects. Rather, I want to make it more empowering and some of the things that you can do, you can start today doing these things to to help mitigate the effects of climate change. Now, I should say that some of these effects will seem not that big because so much of the climate problem has to do with corporations and especially energy use, which of course does not involve us. It's it's more at a governmental level. So you may feel helpless, but these actions all add up. And I will 
talk about some ways that you can have some impact on those higher level actions. So first, we're going to talk about the actions that are are more nebulous, so you have a direct impact on them, but we need us as a collective to come together and, and work on this together. And then the next actions that I'm going to talk about are really ones that you can do on your own, but of course, they have a bigger impact if we can do them all together. So let's get started into our list, and we're going to start from the most important thing you can do to the least important thing you can do. This comes from my blog post, 21 things you can do in a climate emergency because that is what we're in. Climate change is, it's here, honestly. Our climate has been changing. As I mentioned, the bird data with the forest elephant data, we know our climate has changed and it has been caused by humans. So what we're trying to do now is mitigate the effects. We're trying to stop them, stop what has been so far and just make the situation not worse. So we're gonna start with the most priority things and then go down to the um, least priority. Oh, I remember what I was saying. And this is from my blog post, 21 things you can do in a climate emergency and I might not get to all 21 things. We'll see how long this takes me. I tend to be a talker, but I will talk about the most important things, definitely. Okay, so let's get started. So the first thing you can do, it is super duper easy. If you are really lazy, this is the easiest thing for you to do. And it really only happens once a year, maybe twice a year, but it is to vote. And to vote in every single election and every single office. So when you go to the um, polling station and you receive your ballot, don't just fill out the president and the, the senators and the governors. Go up and down the ballot. And I said vote every single year because although in our federal elections here in the United States, it's usually every other year, there usually are, and of course this varies according to your state, but there usually are some kind of election that happened every every year. So make sure you pay attention to those local elections too because it all starts from where you live. That's the the importance of of grassroots movements. And I'm not going to go too much into this because I have a whole podcast episode about this. It is episode number 21. We're We're on a theme here of 21. And it's called Want to Help Animals Do This One Thing. And it goes more into the details about voting and why it's so important in ways that you can help beyond voting. But the reason why this is such an important issue, and I put it at the top, is because, as I mentioned previously, so much that we can do for our climate really has to happen at a very large scale. It has to happen with policy. So this is the most important thing you can do, and you can encourage other people to vote as well. Along those lines, For the people you already have in office, your representatives, you can call and write to them. So I recommend uh, subscribing for different email alerts from different organizations. So the, the League of Conservation Voters is really great and 
This Year Club is also another great resource. I belong to their list here in North Carolina, and they are really great at sending you notifications about local issues. So the idea is, is if that enough representatives hear from us that they will know that climate is a really important issue that they should prioritize. And let me say that I have seen, even within the past, like, Honestly, even within the past election cycle of the of the federal election for, for presidency, there has been so much more talk about climate. So this issue is definitely important and politicians are starting to pay attention to this and listen to voters. And the more that we call, the more that they're going to pay attention to this. Okay, the next one is a little bit more nebulous, but I think it's really important. I put it as number three, and that is to change the culture. And like I said, this one's kind of hard to measure your impact. But what I mean by change the culture is like how I just mentioned in the previous section that within the past election cycle, we've seen people talk about climate change. So be more vocal about climate change just in general. If you have social media, talk about it there, talk about it with your friends and family, normalize it more. There is so much research on there about how social norms really contribute to the way that we do things as a society. So if we can shift those norms, we can get them going in the direction that is better for for us and better for wildlife, of course. So just trying to you don't be quiet about your climate change action. Be proud about it. Talk about it. And actually, one thing that you can do if you're listening to this podcast, I would love it if you could take a picture of yourself doing one of these actions and post it to your Instagram, tag it to me. You can do it in a story. You can do it in a tweet. Do it however you want. But I will definitely retweet it, restory it. <laughs> I'll put it on my Instagram feed. And we can collectively spread these messages and, and, and tell somebody that you learned it from my podcast and share this podcast so that people can learn and we can spread these, these tips that are based on, on real science. So actually, now that I said that, we are going into the more concrete ones that you can do. And this is based off of a study that came out a couple of years ago, it was um, Seth Waynes and Kimberly Nichols out of Environmental Research Letters in 2017. And it basically talks about you as an individual and what your actions have on the climate. And if you really want to do something, what you can do to have the biggest action. This first one is difficult for most people to talk about. They avoid it, honestly, completely. I have seen so many environmental, conservation, wildlife organizations talk about what you can do for climate change, and no one ever mentions this. But it is by far the biggest impact. And the study frames it as having one less child, but of course, having no children have has the biggest impact. And I have the graph on the blog post, but they actually have to to cut 
up the the y-axis because the results of having one fewer child are so great. So if we um, go to that for the U.S., and of course, this is going to vary by country. So for the for U.S. has a bigger impact than some other countries, but the U.S. is at 120. And the next action that we will get into the U.S. is at three. So this represents the emission savings. It is, I'm not even sure exactly what the unit is, but it has to do with carbon dioxide emissions per year. So they had to alter the graph because having one fewer child has such a big impact. So 120 versus three. That's a big deal. And like I mentioned, a lot of people don't like to talk about it because it is a sensitive subject. Lots of people want their own children. I totally understand that. And a lot of people want children and they can't have their own children. So it's sensitive in that way as well. But the way that I want to talk about it is not that you should feel bad for having children or shame or that we should shame other people who have children, but I think it's more important to shift the culture to take the emphasis off of people having their own children and the pressure. I am actually really lucky. I I never wanted children. That's not why I'm lucky, but <laughs> I just never felt the calling to have children. And part of the reason is I just felt like I could do more good in this world by pursuing my career and focusing on children that already existed. And that's part of my mission. I want to connect kids to nature, to animals, so that that it brings them happiness and joy because there's a lot of research to show that with nature and also encourages them to be future conservationists. So I felt like that was my my mission and my life's calling. And it sort of took me a while to figure that out specifically. But either way, no matter what I was doing with wildlife and conservation, I just felt that that having children would would deter me from this. And this is my personal choice. But my parents never encouraged me to have children. They never put pressure on me to have children. So I am really so thankful for that because there are so many people who are under that pressure. So what I'm asking people to do is if people don't have children by choice, and of course not by choice, that we make them feel like they are complete families and complete people and that you don't need to have children nowadays to to be a quote unquote normal family. And luckily I am seeing some shifts in society with that. It is becoming a little bit more normalized, but there still is a lot of pressure, especially from family members, but even from things like friends. Like like I've heard some of my friends say like, you know, when like when are you going to plan on having kids or things to newlywed couples and you know, just stuff like that. We don't need to put the the pressure on them. And a lot of people don't like this topic too because I actually, for my blog post, I got a couple of comments about it being eugenics. And eugenics is like, it's it's that eugenics is a thing that like takes people to genocide and of course that is not what i am talking about at all but eugenics also has to do with preventing specific races 
to repopulate. So it's a very it's a very racially motivated, ethnic motivated type of thing. So it's it's it has to do with, you know, some people believing that some races are better than others. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about with reducing uh, human population growth overall by having fewer children. So it is absolutely has nothing to do with that at all. So I just wanted to clarify that. But we can also think about this from another really positive way. This is actually the angle I love to approach this issue from, which is educating girls. So what in the world does educating girls have to do with reducing human population growth? Well, there's actually a lot of research to back it up that when girls are educated, that they get married at later ages and they therefore have fewer children. So not only is this better for the individual girl who becomes a woman and she can become more independent and of course she has this great knowledge and as things start changing in the world, hopefully more equality. But so it helps her in that way, but also it's a it's a good thing to do for the climate and for the earth too. So I believe in educating in girls for both of those reasons. I think that is so important. And if you go to my blog post, you'll see I put Beyonce Girls Run the World video because us women, we have so much power. So I encourage you to look for organizations that invest in girls because when girls have an education, they have more choice, they have more control in their life, which is a great thing. Okay, so what do you think is the next biggest thing that you can do that reduces your impact? Well, it is to live car-free. Now, here in the United States, it can be very difficult to do that in most places. Unless you're in a big city like New York City, Chicago, even LA. I've never actually been to LA, but I think having a car there is is important from what I gather from the movies and the TV shows. They're always talking about the congested freeways. But yeah, if you can ditch your car, that is great. So if you are moving, considering consider moving to the urban center, if you can, where you can walk places to get your groceries. I spent um, a summer with my brother in New York City, and it was awesome. You just walk everywhere. Of course, you use the subway. I would never bike in New York City because I'm way too scared to. But biking is another great option for for you to get around town, depending on your town and how much you can get around. But I'm really happy to see more bikers here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And with COVID happening, I do think that one good thing that will come out of the COVID time period out of quarantine is that we have gotten used to working from home and Zoom has been really great at connecting us. So I think moving forward, a lot of companies will continue to to keep their employees at home, at least part-time. I actually did see an article saying that that work from home is here to stay. So that is a great thing because think about all of the trips that we are saving by not taking our cars into work. And I love working from home. It is so much fun. I love it. I can take naps in the day. I can take my dogs. It is so great. 
So maybe you can't go car free, but think about think think about when you're doing things. Is there is there a way you could do things that minimizes your car trips? That are things that you can do without your car. Just try to be more creative, and you can be more fun. And with spring here now, it's a great time to ride your bike. The next one, number six on our list, is one. I hate, I hate this one, but it is really important. And this one is to reduce your flights. And I say I hate it because I don't necessarily like flying. I I actually really don't like flying, but I do like traveling. I don't mind international flights, actually. It's like, I think the thing I don't like about flying is I don't like like actually getting onto the plane and getting off of the plane. I But once I'm like in my seat and stuff, I'm fine, especially with the international flights because you get your own like movie screen and stuff. But anyways, back to flights. So so yeah, this is this is really hard for me because like I said, I love to visit places, but flying does have a large carbon footprint. So basically what I work on is, is like the tip says, trying to reduce my flights what I usually do is try to combine work and pleasure. So I went to Borneo a couple of years ago, and this is a place that I always wanted to go to, or at least somewhere in Southeast Asia, maybe not Borneo specifically. But there, my favorite conference, the International Conference um, or Congress for Conservation Biology was held there, in, or actually in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. So I was like, I am going. I definitely want to go because it's a place I have always wanted to go to, and I love that conference. So if you can choose your places more strategically and and build work and and play together so you don't have to take multiple trips that is a really great tidbit of information I actually also submitted my proposal for this year's conference, which is in Kigali, Rwanda, and I really hope to go. I love Rwanda. I went there in 2005 when I lived in Kenya and I saw the gorillas and oh my gosh, I would love the chance to be able to do that again. So I am planning to go there and I'm, I think I'm going to stop off in Kenya as well. And now that I work from home, I can hopefully stay longer. But yeah, see if you can reduce your flights. And also another tip is to explore your community more, explore what's around you more. So can you take some some day trips or some mini weekend vacations? Those are a really great way to to um, enjoy yourself and to vacation. I actually know that I am terrible at doing this, not because I'm like always out there vacationing. Actually, all of my vacations are built around work. It's always like a conference that I want to go to or, or I'm going to a conference and I'm like, okay, I'll stay a couple of extra days for a vacation. But if you want to take a vacation, it can be really fun to take just small road trips or weekend getaways. And this is something I really need to do here in North Carolina because I really have not in, invested the time in doing that. So get out there and explore After that one, we are now into number seven, which is purchase green energy. And this is something that I can't do because I live in a very shady area, but I looked into this option. If you can try to get your house hooked up to solar, this is absolutely something that you should do. 
If you watch Bill, the Bill Maher show at all, I watched a real time with Bill Maher on HBO. This is going to depend on where you live because he lives in California and he actually has this shed built so his house can run off of solar energy. But there is something held up in the government with regulations and he's been talking a lot about it on his show recently. So hopefully this is something you can do in your area. It'll be a a state-by-state thing, but if you can look into it and go to the blog post, there's a resource in, in the notes, a link to a resource that can help you get started about buying clean electricity. Moving on to number eight number eight and number nine on the graph are kind of are kind of combined or I'll combine them here because they're very similar they are about your your transportation again so if you have to buy a car um, or you need a car then electric is best but I have a hybrid and I would say that's still better than nothing so buy a more or not nothing it's better (laughs) it's not better than nothing nothing is way better than hybrid if you can get around car free that's way better but uh, but but getting a more efficient car is the next thing that has a big difference and then once you do that again switching from electric car to car free has a, a big difference as well on the graph Okay, so the graph or this study puts all of the really big things in green. And we are going to talk about the last of the big things, which is number nine, and that is to to have a plant based diet. And I don't I didn't I haven't read the study in a while, and I'm not sure if they I guess with plant based, they probably mean vegan or vegetarian. But I I feel like so many people are turned off by the word vegan, especially. So I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and I learned about factory farming from my brother, actually. He was involved in some environmental organizations, and they I found a pamphlet all about factory farming. So at the age of 12, I went vegetarian, and I was made fun of so badly for for doing this. And people in Buffalo, even today, people in Buffalo, I feel like are not very tolerant of vegetarians. So I've been, I'm really careful about the approach that I use when talking to people about this. And I think being, I was a vegetarian for a very long time. And now I'm not, I do eat fish, but I am mostly vegan to tell you the truth. I don't eat dairy anymore. And if I do eat meat, I eat sustainable, more sustainable meat from local farms and from those where the animals run around, they're pasture raised. And actually, I have a whole podcast episode about this too, about your diet. I think it's episodes number four and five about how you can become more plant-based. But basically, the point I want to share here is that like, like, for example, I saw on Twitter the other day somebody talking about being vegan for the planet, but they, they hated saying that because I think that there is this culture of people feeling shame if they're around vegans or vegetarians and they're eating meat and maybe the the people who have this type of diet have, have, have done this. So I think... 
rather than making people feel bad about their eating habits, I think it should we should try to make them see how awesome it is to be vegan and vegetarian. And also that it's not an all or none situation that we we don't want it's it's way better to have lots and lots of people doing veganism imperfectly than it is to have fewer people doing veganism perfectly. So I think we should be a little bit easier on people. It doesn't have to be a black and white issue. You don't have to say, I am a vegan from here on out. You can be like me. And most days I eat primarily vegan. I don't even eat fish. I I do eat, and when I say fish, I eat sustainable fish. And I am going to invite a guest on our podcast to talk about that. But anyways, yeah, if we can like, like make it more fun. And again, going back to like the norms, if you're doing some meatless meals, post it on social media, make them look good. I honestly love meatless food. I, I know I'm weird. I, I love, honestly, I really love tofu and being vegan honestly has just made me feel so much better. And I've tried all of the diets out there. I've done everything and I, my body just works really well with being primarily vegan. But anyways, I have a whole podcast episode about this because beef especially has the biggest impact on on climate change. So if you can at least reduce your your beef consumption and red meat consumption, that is a really important way that you can help wildlife, not only with the deforestation of land, which also contributes to carbon emissions, but the cattle themselves also contribute from the release of methane. Those are the biggies that you can do. And if you really want to have an impact, work on those. Again, work towards progress, not perfection. Don't beat yourself up. Just keep trying to make those small changes and they will become habits. Actually, maybe I should do an episode on how to change your habits because I'm pretty good at that. And I've done a lot of research on that. Let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. Okay, let's get into the ones that have a smaller impact, but again, small actions all add up, so I encourage you all to do this even if they seem small or they are smaller. The first one, number 10, is to reduce your heating and cooling at home. This is a constant battle between myself and my husband. I like to keep the thermostat low in the winter because I believe in saving energy and saving money too. So I'm cold all winter long and constantly bundled up. Then when the summertime comes, I love having it warm in the hot, in the house. Like I just love it, but my husband hates it. So he's always turning down the thermostat. But if you can keep it warmer in the summer and cooler in the winter, you will save money and energy. The next one is about reducing food waste. This honestly, though, a lot doesn't have to do with us as individual consumers because a lot of the food waste really has to do with the processing and also places that handle foods like restaurants and things like that, but it really has to do with the process of how food gets to our plate. That being said, I should actually say that food waste is actually a really big contributor to climate change. I was surprised to know this, about 8%. But still, you try not to waste any food at home. So make make what you buy and eat your leftovers. One of, one of my friends didn't eat leftovers. I thought that was so weird. Sorry, that was my dog 
but she didn't eat leftovers. And I just thought that was so weird because I love leftovers. And I actually think a lot of food tastes better the next day, especially if you're making like a casserole or soup. Soup always tastes better the next day. And it honestly gets better with time until you wait too long, then it gets worse. But, but yeah, just, just try to reduce the, the, uh, the food you waste. My other dog, Gus, who is the one with a birthday, just took a pineapple off of my kitchen counter and is now trying to eat it. Yesterday, he took an individual banana off the counter and peeled it and ate the banana inside. Where was I? Reducing food waste. Another great way to actually, well, it doesn't really reduce your food waste, but well, reduce your waste is to compost. And if you are lazy like me and don't want to build a compost thing or don't want to turn it, what you can do is subscribe to a compost um, collection if they offer that, a collection service if they offer that in your area. I belong to Compost Now or I subscribe to Compost Now and they give you a bucket. You can have up to two buckets and uh, you just put your scraps in there and they pick it up for you. So it's really great if you live in an apartment where you can't compost or in, in my case, I'm not only lazy, but I have dogs and they, they would go through the compost when we tried to have one before at our old house. So I love compost now as an option. And you can also request uh, soil from them for your garden as well. Number 12 is to switch your light bulbs to LED. And LED lights make lighting way more efficient. And I really like this, this quote from Project Drawdown. If, if you use a light bulb for five hours a night, one bulb will last you 25, 27 years, making it the least expensive form of illumination on the planet. I just think that is so amazing. Wow. 27 years. That's crazy. Okay. Now I sound like an old timer. Number 13. And these, the order of these ones, they kind of get loosey goosey around here because I prioritize some things that are based on research, but other things don't have as much research. So I kind of, the order kind of just, I don't know, it's not as, it's not as scientifically accurate. So number 13, just buy fewer new things in general because everything that is produced releases carbon emissions. So I am definitely doing this with clothes. I buy like my my exercise clothes on ThreadUp now and even my real clothes on ThreadUp or the Real Real. I love the Real Real for my dress up clothes and I'm an affiliate of the Real Real. They're they're great. They're an online consignment shop. I also go to my local consignment stores too. And for furniture, you can look at places like the um, Craigslist. And it's just also really fun and vintage stores because you never know what you're going to find. It's like a treasure hunt. Conserve energy is number 14. And this is very similar to the the heating and cooling of your house. Just turn things off when you are not using them. You can do things like hang dry your clothes rather than use the the dryer. And I actually do this for most of my clothes because it keeps them in in better shape. They don't get they don't break down as fast. You can also do things like 
avoiding hot water, so using cold water when you're washing machines or making sure that your loads are full when you run them so you run fewer. If you hear random noises in the background, I'm sorry, that's that's my dog trying to knock down our dog gate and you'll hear meows and maybe some barks. I have two cats or two dogs and three cats and sometimes there is conflict. So just please ignore those and I podcast from my couch or I, I, I do now when I'm doing this solo episode. Number 15 is to buy locally and this especially refers to food and, and or usually when we think about this, we think about this in food or I tend to because it has less of a carbon footprint because the food doesn't have to travel as fast. It's also as fast as far. And the food also comes from local farmers. So you're supporting your local community, which I love. And I talk about this too in the diet episode. Number 16 is to compost. And and I talked about that. Number 17 is to recycle. And this is usually something that really gets a lot of attention on Earth Day, or at least historically it has. But recycling, honestly, is kind of a a myth now, unfortunately, where there has been a lot of changes going on in who buys our recycling that has affected things. But I've read estimates of only 10% of our stuff put in recycling actually gets recycled. I actually plan on doing an episode on plastics use. So I will definitely talk about recycling in that episode and and give you the real deal about that. But that's coming along in a few weeks, maybe a month. Other things you can do, so I'm going to go through 18 through 21 pretty quickly. You can donate to climate change efforts, preserving forests, these large car, these large um, old growth forests. They're huge carbon sinks. They absorb carbon. There's actually really cool YouTube videos you can look at of how carbon gets absorbed from trees and you'll you'll see the difference as we go into the different seasons because trees here in the northern hemisphere and where I live in the U.S., they lose their leaves in the winter and they regrow in the spring. So it's really cool to see those differences. So the more that we have deforestation, the, the more that we then lose these carbon sinks and of course, trees then when they're when they're cut, they also release carbon. So it is a double whammy. So if you can donate to organizations that that help contribute to mitigating the effects of climate change, that is some way you can really a way you can really help out. The next ones have to do with with purchasing new products, and this is purchasing products from companies that um, care about the environment. So they prioritize sustainability, they reduce their carbon footprint. I try to to buy from corporations that are B corporations. These are this is a third party that awards a company with that status and they have to prioritize the environment and and human rights, a workers' ethics along with profits. And uh, the B Corporation status makes things a lot more transparent. So you can look to see where the companies actually rank on different things. So as I mentioned before in another podcast that I love Beauty Counter, they 
they they're a cosmetics and personal care company and the ROB Corporation. And I get so I'm a consultant for them, but I also get their emails, of course. And we get emails all the time about how they are changing their uh, their packaging and the way that they do things to make things more sustainable. So if you can find companies like this and and look at the B Corporation website and or pay attention to the little symbol, it's a little B. I'll say B Corporation on products. And once I see it, I tend to buy those products again. And then the last thing that you can do is choose slowest, choose the slowest shipping option. So instead of going for that same day shipping, just, and you'll save money with this too, go for the slowest, slow, the slowest shipping option. It'll save you money and it is better for the planet. So I hope after listening to all these tips, you now feel more empowered about what you can do. And I hope you have some in mind that you can get started doing this week. Remember to take a picture. I would love to see a picture of you doing the action. And I'm gonna do some of these for my social media feed as well, my Instagram. And tag me, let me know what you're doing. And please share this podcast episode so we can and help mitigate the effects of climate change that we can do something about this finally. Thanks so much, guys, for listening and see you next episode. If you liked this episode, care about wildlife, care about conservation, or know somebody who is interested in going into wildlife biology careers, please share this episode. You can also rate and review my podcast that really helps people find it. My goal is to spread messages of conservation and kindness for wildlife and to help people navigate wildlife biology careers. Rating and reviewing my podcast really helps other people find it. If you have questions or show ideas, you can find me at fancyscientist.com. My social media handles are at fancyscientist. On Instagram, there's an underscore between fancy and scientist. You can also send an email to hello at fancyscientist.com. If you're an aspiring wildlife biologist, ecologist, or zoologist, you can join me every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Facebook Live, where I answer different career questions. You can also ask me questions on the spot. I'm here for you. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. I am so grateful for you. I hope you have an amazing day. Be kind to animals and be kind to each other.